Go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to hear your saints singing to you at the close of your day. Lord, I pray that we take to heart these truths that we have sung during this time, and they're not mere words, not mere tunes, but that they are in our hearts. For we know that there, there is no peace that is offered like the peace that you give us, Lord. And when our hearts are stayed upon you, O Jehovah God, that there is no peace that can surpass this. In joy or in trial, when trials come, when suffering comes, when things that our, our church has experienced during these past few weeks, when thinking about deaths of loved ones, we know that, that we can even find joy during these times because our joy does not depend upon our situations. Our joy depends upon a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And we know that His joy is full, and we know that He has promised that our joy may be full through Him too. And I pray for any souls that might be experiencing turmoil or discontentment during this time, that you show them the words of this song that that like a river glorious is your peace. Lord, when our, our eyes and our hearts are stayed upon you, that there is peace like no other. Lord, as we considered, we've considered many times on this day already, Lord, your, your holiness and your glory. We've considered in our preaching this morning, and we're going to consider it again, what it means to, to have a portion of your glory given to us. Lord, I pray that during this time that those who hear do not hear my words, but hear the utterances of the Spirit. And I pray that you use me during this time to speak truths to people. Keep me from pride. Keep me from being puffed up. But help me to magnify your name, Lord. Lord, I pray For the souls that are sitting here who know you, may this be a time of encouragement for them, learning more about you and who you are and who we are and how we are to live before your face. For those sitting here, for those that are listening who do not know you, let them see your glory. Just a portion, Lord. As we've already heard, we cannot behold your glory in its fullness or we would be consumed by your holiness. But let them see the portion, let them see the portion that changes, that changes hearts, that changes souls. Give them a heart of flesh, take out their heart of stone, put muscles and tendons on their dry bones, renew their souls, that they may share in a portion of your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So tonight, our main text is going to be from Exodus 34, so you can start turning there if you'd wish. Um, I didn't get uh, my sermon title to Chris before the order of worship went to print this week, so if you're taking notes, the title of today's sermon is The Radiance of the Glory of God. The Radiance of the Glory of God. So Before we, we get to our primary text today, remember after the, the sordid episode of the golden calf, which I was brought to you guys last time I was up here, And then the intercession of Moses on the behalf of the people, 
Moses again gets to enjoy a special presence with God at the top of the mountain to replace the tablets that have been broken. If you remember, the tablets being broken is this really striking visual symbol that the covenant itself had been broken. The covenant had been confirmed and then it had already been broken by that golden calf episode. And so there at the top of the mountain, when Moses is there again, while Moses gets to behold the glory of God, which we heard the significance of last week in Prashant's evening sermon, which we heard the significance of this morning in Pastor Thomas's sermon, getting to behold the glory of God, the covenant is renewed and it's visually symbolized by these new tablets of stone. So in, before we get to our primary text, in 34.10 it says, And he said, Behold, I'm making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels. This is obviously God talking. Such have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So God is renewing the covenant here. So that's in verse 10. Then skip, back, skip down to verse 27 of chapter 34. It's God talking again. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So the covenant is being renewed. It's the first thing that happens here. And then also the, another thing that happens is Moses is miraculously sustained here. So continuing on to verse 28, he said, it says, So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So something supernatural is going on here. And so I'm going to take a brief side note here uh, because I like to do things like that. But it's an interesting thing that in the parallel passage to this that you'll notice in the New Testament, you probably know in the temptation of Christ that's detailed in, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, we're only told that Jesus had gone 40 days and 40 nights without food. That's what it says in both of those passages. Jesus fasted. He's without food for 40 days and 40 nights. But it makes no mention of water here in the passages in, about the temptation of Christ. The passages then go on. They mention him being hungry quite a few times. He was very hungry, but it says nothing about him being thirsty. And it's very interesting because Moses here, he neither ate bread nor drank water. We're told that explicitly here. And so this is interesting, and it's actually very significant because uh, it's agreed upon by uh, both science then and science now that the human body can survive roughly 40 to 70 days without food. But the human body can only survive three to four days without water. So 40 to 70 without food, three to four days without water. And so don't, don't miss this because this really drives home the fact that Jesus, when he is being tempted in the desert by Satan... He was at his weakest, but he was also at his most human. Okay? So there's no mixing of the divine and the human natures when the temptation of Christ is occurring. He's hungry, he's not thirsty, because he's fully human here. There's no, nothing, he's not using part of his divine natures to sustain him during this time whenever he's having this interaction with the devil. So he's, there's no, he's not supernaturally sustaining himself here. He's not mixing his divine and his human natures. So it's very important because he's fully human in his temptation, and he's fully human in the perfection that comes after that temptation. It's very important. 
So that was the, that brief detour into Christology that I wanted to take, that I just had to pull it out of here. Um, so after that brief detour, we see that Moses here, Moses definitely has some sort of divine intervention that's going into his natural state because 40 days and 40 nights without water, the human body can't do that. So there's some sort of divine supernatural intervention that's happening when Moses is on the mountain with God. And not only that, God sustaining his body here, Moses has a divine intervention into his natural state. He's also enjoying some sort of divine reflection. He's enjoying it in the sense of a divine reflection, in the sense that God needs neither food nor water to sustain himself either. So God is kind of reflecting a very small piece of his nature back on Moses here because God doesn't need food or water to exist. And for these 40 days and 40 nights, neither does Moses. So he's getting a divine reflection here. But that's not the only divine reflection that Moses is enjoying during this time. So let's read and see what else comes from the meeting between God and Moses. So Exodus 34... 29 through 34. Sorry, 29 through 35. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded... The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil back over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So time spent in the special presence of God can have great effects on a person. Matthew Henry says, Communion with God first makes the face to shine in true honor. Serious godliness puts a luster upon a man's countenance, such as commands esteem and affection. Secondly, it should make the face to shine in universal holiness. When when we have been on the mount with God, we should let our light shine before men in humility, meekness, and all the instances of a heavenly conversation. Thus must the beauty of the Lord our God be up upon even the beauty of holiness that all we converse, we converse with may take knowledge of us that we have been with Jesus. So people should really recognize that we regularly spend time with God. But you'll notice here that Moses was not, he was not putting on a show like the Pharisees later would do. Moses had simply spent time with God. He'd spent a lot of time with God. But he had spent time with God, and he comes down the mountain. But before then, a small portion of God's glory had somehow been communicated to him. 
We don't know exactly how this happens. We don't know the physics of it. But some portion of God's glory has been communicated to Moses here during this time. But Moses actually doesn't know anything about it. It's simply that he has spent time with God, and now he is reflecting God's glory back to the people that he sees. And so this, first of all, shows us that our efforts to magnify ourselves to others mean nothing at all. Mean nothing at all. It's reflecting the nature of our Creator that, as Matthew Henry says, puts a luster upon a man's countenance. That sounds good, right? I'd love to walk around with a luster upon my countenance. Great. I think that's the way Ashley views me sometimes. But, right? <laughs> no. But it's, it's time with God. It's reflecting the nature of our Creator that puts a luster on a man's countenance. And that's when people take notice. The people of Israel, remember... They had been through this golden calf episode, and they're, they're ready to break the covenant again. <laughs> but they, they see the luster of the countenance of Moses, and it makes them take note. There's something different about this man. He's been spending time with God, obviously. We can physically see this. And so this is when people take notice. It's when they take notice of you and me. And they realize that this man is not like the other men around us, because this man has obviously spent time with God. And so the shining face of Moses then... It has nothing about lifting Moses up because Moses didn't even know his face is shining. It's meant to be a blessing upon the people. So this also confirms once again that Moses is God's mediator, which we've already covered in previous sermons multiple times. So it reconfirms that. It also reconfirms that after the episode of the golden calf, even after the episode of the golden calf, that God is willing to communicate blessings to his people because he's now sending his messenger back down with a portion of his glory. So God is still willing to communicate the blessings to the people. And this actually is not just on this occasion either because you think about the blessing of the Old Testament. You think about, you know, whenever we have benedictions, we have this benediction upon us sometimes too. The blessing of the Old Testament. You know it, but I'm going to say it anyway. The great benediction of Numbers 6, right? So listen to what it says. It says, the Lord, this is Yahweh. Whenever it says Lord here, it's Yahweh, covenant God, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. Listen to the next phrase. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Again, the Lord lift up his countenance or his face upon you and give you peace. So you see it again. This episode with Moses' face shining is looking forward to the great benediction, that great ironic blessing of the Old Testament that the priests are going to bless the people with over and over and over. It's the same thing. It's God's face shining upon the people. It says, may God lift up his countenance upon you, or may his face shine upon you. This episode of Moses, with Moses' shining face is looking forward to that. And so with that great benediction, these, these really aren't just... These are not just some nice words that make you feel good. They do that. They obviously do that. They should. If you think about God's face shining upon you and giving you peace and being gracious to you, they should make you feel good. But they're, they're a lot more than that. And so they were, it was really there to remind the Israelites and to remind us that God is good to us, that God is going to bring us peace, that God is gracious to us, and God does this because of the covenant that he has made with us. Because it's repeated so many times there. It's Yahweh does this. Yahweh does this. Yahweh does this. It's the covenant God that does this. This great benediction reminds us that three times. 
that the covenant God Yahweh is the one who offers the blessings of his face shining upon his people. So Moses' face does that, and it reminds the people that God loves them and that they have a mediator to bring them back to God. It communicates this, God approves of Moses, he is the mediator. But there's a problem here. We've discussed this problem before about how Moses was not a perfect mediator. And it's evident here too. And the reason why it's evident here is that Moses has to keep returning to God to get his face to start shining again. This, this fact really isn't uh, immediately apparent from Exodus 34. It's hinted at here. I'm going to prove this later on in the sermon, so just kind of wait for me to firmly prove that from Scripture. It's hinted at in Exodus. But to repeat what I said, Moses has to keep returning to God to get his face to start shining again. God's blessings to the people, are, they're coming through Moses and the covenant that God made really through Moses. But Moses, again, remember, is just a man. Moses does not possess a sinless nature. As a man, Moses bears the image of God. And even as we're seeing here, Moses coming down from the mountain is really, he's bearing the image of God in a way that no other man has really borne the image of God because his face is shining and some portion of God's glory is now coming through Moses. But he's still a man. He's still a mediator, but he's not good enough. So then... Who can be good enough? Well, you know the answer to that. But I'm going to go to some scriptural support anyway. So in Hebrews 1, this is what it says here in Hebrews 1. You're welcome to turn there with me. If not, just listen. Three verses, how it opens up in Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, i.e. Moses. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Here's the key verse for our purposes. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Repeat the part of verse 3 again that I'm really focusing on for the sermon tonight. He is the radiance or the shining face of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus does not have to keep returning to the Father to refill his glory like Moses did. No, he does not because he is the exact imprint of his nature. His glory is continually displayed and it never fades like Moses' glory was. And through our union with Christ, we get to display the radiance of the glory of God too. The nature of God is communicated perfectly to us through Jesus Christ. That's not fully understood by us. That's this, this to me, the doctrine of the unity of the Christian with Jesus Christ is one of the most mysterious things that that I, you know, I can't make full sense of it. Praise the Lord for it, right? I can't make full sense of it, though. But in this, we get to display the radiance of the glory of God, too, through our union with Jesus Christ. And so all of those great promises that are communicated through that ironic blessing of that great Old Testament benediction, 
that the, the covenant God's face shines upon his people, this is because of the Trinitarian love that the Father has for the Son, and by both of them sending forth the Holy Spirit. This also will be proved later in a, sermon, in a scriptural text. I'll get to that in a minute. So the blessings that are described in that blessing are all through Christ. The perseverance of the saints that is described there is through Christ. God's graciousness is through Christ. God's peace is through Christ. It all depends on this better mediator of a better covenant. And we are the beneficiaries of that. And that's great, right? That's all of grace. It's all of grace. And so there, there was an event that happens before the writer of Hebrews writes this beautiful description. I mean, that is, I mean, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Mm, right? What a description of Jesus. But there's something that happens before the writer of Hebrews writes this down. And this event that, ha- that has happened has a massive impact on the people that witnessed it. It was witnessed by a very few amount of people, but luckily for us, we have eyewitness testimony of this. And two of those eyewitnesses say about this event, this is what one of them says. John says this when remembering the event. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So there's John's eyewitness statement. We have seen his glory. John says this in John 1.14 in that great prologue to his gospel. Or this is the way Peter describes it in 2 Peter 1. Peter said this about the event that he witnessed. He said, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty or his glory. We were eyewitnesses. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. This is the way Peter describes it. So what event are they talking about here? The transfiguration of Jesus. So we're going to read that. Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, this is how the Gospel of Matthew describes the transfiguration in verses 1 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Here it is. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So any astute Jewish observer 
which Peter, James, and John likely were, they would notice how incredibly significant this event was. And anyone they told this story to later as eyewitnesses would have recognized how incredibly significant this event was, not just because Jesus is transfigured before them, but notice everything that was there. In the presence of Jesus, you have the other two people in the Old Testament that had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses, which we already read. Elijah does this too. We have the representative of the law, which is Moses, and we have the representative of the prophets, Elijah, showing that Jesus fulfills both the law and the prophets. There they are on the top of a mountain, just like Moses and Elijah do, and probably the most significant portions of their ministries happen on top of mountains. And Jesus is transformed here. This is something that we really can't envision fully because we weren't there. We don't know exactly what he looked like when he's transfigured, but something, something happens. Something changes. We don't know exactly all the details, but we do get two details. One of them is that his face shone like the sun, which is the same thing that happened to Moses. Why? Because God's glory had been placed upon him. God even verbally speaks this to the apostles that are witnessing this. This is my son. I'm pleased. Listen to him. So the first thing, the detail that we're given, that his face shone like the sun, just like Moses. But Jesus' glory goes even further than this. Jesus' glory goes further. Moses' shine, the shine stopped at his face. That's all we're told. His face shone. But Jesus shines throughout his entire body. And his entire body is shining such that his clothes appear to be as white as light. So his glory is even more full than Moses' glory was when Moses comes down from the mountain. But why? Why is his glory more full? Well, it's because... The same thing that the writer of Hebrews says. It's because he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He's not just getting a portion of the Father's glory. He has this Trinitarian glory that he shares with the Father because he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So just like Moses' shining face was meant to confirm to the people that he was God's messenger, Jesus' shine does the exact same thing here. So that's one thing, but there's more than that. The three disciples get to hear the very voice of God the Father, which he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And this obviously tremendously impacted these three. We see that it obviously tremendously impacted the two where we get their eyewitness testimonies that they write later. But you can also see it in their initial reactions that we've got described here in Matthew. It says, Matthew tells us that they fell on their faces and were terrified. And you'll notice here that this is the exact same response that the Israelites have when they see Moses. When he comes down from the mountain, it says the same thing, that they were terrified. They were scared of Moses. And it's the same reaction that they have whenever they hear God's voice thundering down from Mount Sinai. If you remember back previously in Exodus When God thunders and they can actually hear God's voice, one of the rare times that they can, they're terrified. Probably for a good reason. 
You listen to the sermon this morning because of God's holiness. God's holiness would consume them if they weren't. They were terrified. And the disciples, the three disciples that are there, they have the same response. They are terrified because they have heard the voice of God the Father. But you're going to notice a distinction here between Mount Sinai and then the Mount of the Transfiguration. Because at Sinai, the people were explicitly commanded, do not come close because you will be consumed by God's holiness if you come close. Their access at Sinai was at this point only through Moses and the instructions that that he had given them. They were supposed to stay afraid. They were supposed to be afraid of God's holiness and all of it. And that is a good response. But during the transfiguration that's witnessed by the three apostles, you'll notice before Jesus says anything, the first thing that Jesus does is he touches them. This is what could not happen at Sinai. They could not come near to God because his holiness would consume them. They were not allowed to touch the mountain or they would be instantly killed. But Jesus, who, remember, is the exact imprint of the nature of God, he touches them, and instead of them being consumed, he gives them comfort. He says, rise and have no fear. And so, they do not have a reason to be afraid. We have no reason to be afraid. We can come into God's presence in a way that Moses could not even enter. Because Jesus, our elder brother, our second Adam, the better mediator, the one who is the radiance of the glory of God, because we are united to him, we can rise and we can have no fear to enter into God's presence. We can come into God's presence without being consumed by his holiness. It is still proper to have the same reaction that Isaiah had, that Pastor Thomas said this morning in Isaiah 6. Woe is me, I'm of unclean lips. But we also recognize that my unclean lips have been paid for. That we can rise and have no fear. So to state it once again... This is the fulfillment of that great benediction. God's face shines upon us only because it shines upon Jesus. That is the blessing. That is the assurance. That is the grace. And that is our peace. And so as as ministers here of the gospel, we are to go back and to reflect the glory of God just like Jesus did. And so one thing I want you to leave here tonight thinking about is how much better we have it than Moses had it. That's kind of tough to think about because Moses has been supernaturally sustained by God for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been in God's special presence. He's been so much in God's special presence that he comes down from the mountain and his face is shining. And I'm telling you right now that we have it better than Moses had it. This is, you know, he obviously... When he's on the mountain, he's experiencing something similar to what we might experience in heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about after he comes down. You might think that because his face was shining, he gets to experience something better than we will ever experience. But the New Testament disagrees with that. So I'm going to get back to this. I teased it earlier in the sermon. Let me ask you, what was the purpose of the veil over Moses' face? 
So you might think that the veil was there to calm the anxiety of the people. Whenever you read through it, even I've read through this dozens of times, and that's just what I've assumed that it was for until I really was studying it. And that's not what the veil was for. It was not there to calm the anxiety of the people or to keep the people from even being blinded. Because the veil doesn't go over his face until he is after finished speaking with them, at least speaking to Aaron and the elders of the congregation. So the veil doesn't come till later. The veil is there to keep the Israelites from seeing that the glory was fading away from his face. I told you I was going to prove this in the sermon, so here we are. So I would invite you, I urge you to turn with me right now to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3 is where this is proven. Oop, went past it. Let me get there. 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to read the whole chapter together. And as we read, make note of how Paul is going to point out the reason for the veil is to hide that the glory is being faded away from Moses' face. So 2 Corinthians 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you know that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Okay, you would get an allusion back here to Jeremiah 31. Pastor Thomas talked about that this morning too. I was going to, Jeremiah 31, because that's one of the most Baptist passages in all the, in all the Bible. This is, this is it too, because the covenant is written on the people's hearts. So, sorry, back to the scriptures. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will, come, will what is permanent have glory." Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their hearts were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord... The veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you get another, another dose of Baptist covenant theology tonight. It's probably three sermons in a row for me. We started tonight reading... Exodus 34, verses 10 and 27. 
If you have a more modern Bible that separates the chapters into sections, you'll see before verse 10 that the title given to that section is The Covenant Renewed. And we covered this during the last, my last sermon on the golden calf, but to just reiterate it one more time, the Mosaic Covenant was never going to work. The golden calf episode first points to that. So almost immediately the covenant is broken. So it has to be renewed already. And so of all the great covenants of redemptive history, the Mosaic Covenant is the only one that has to be renewed. And had to be renewed quite a few times. Because the people kept breaking it and renewing it and breaking it and renewing it. Which itself is just a testament to God's long-suffering because of how long it took him to come and bring the promises that he had told them if they broke the covenant. But the point is, tonight the covenant needed to be replaced by a better covenant. And like Paul said here, that we just read, 2 Corinthians, we are ministers of a better covenant. Our glory is more. Because the glory that Moses had was a glory that was immediately fading away. Because that covenant was immediately fading away. Jesus is the mediator of the better covenant. But Paul tells us explicitly here that we are ministers of that covenant. The one that Moses ministered was temporary. Like I said, it fades away immediately. As soon as he exits God's presence, that's why he keeps having to go back to the tent. When he goes in the tent, he lifts the veil and gets a renewing of the glory. And he comes back out and he puts the veil back on so the Israelites won't see that the glory is fading away. He'd go in, his face would shine. He'd go to the people. They'd see his shining face. He'd have to put it back on. Start the whole process over. Because the covenant could not last. The Mosaic covenant could not last, but our covenant is everlasting. Like Paul says here, it's everlasting because it is not written with ink. It is not carved into tablets. It's everlasting because it is written on the human heart by the Holy Spirit. And this spirit gives life and it gives freedom. It's unlike the death and the slavery that was brought on by the legalism of the Pharisees and the death and the slavery that's brought on by sin. No, the spirit gives life and he gives freedom, not death and not slavery. So once again, we share in the glory of the new covenant and the glory that we share is permanent. This glory is permanent because it's been forever accomplished by the death and the resurrection of Christ and it's forever sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying this to get you puffed up. I'm saying this to get you excited for how amazing Jesus is. Okay, It's like the veil. You know how the veil is torn during the temple during the crucifixion? When repentance happens, or like Paul says, when one turns to the Lord... In 2 Corinthians 3.16 there, Paul says the veil over the sinful human heart is torn. And there is freedom to behold the glory of the Lord. There is freedom to be face to face with God. Because the veil of the temple is torn and the veil over the human heart is torn. You get to behold the glory just glory on top of glory on top of glory. And I will tell you, I mean, that gets me excited It gets me excited for heaven, first of all, whenever I get to experience this in a perfect way, beholding the glory of God. But it really does get me excited for right now, 
to really to go display the unveiled glory of the Lord as a minister of the new covenant. And this is the responsibility and the privilege of every Christian here, of every Christian in all the earth, is to be a minister of the new covenant and to display the glory of the Lord. That's why we're here, to display the glory of the Lord. That's why we're still here on the earth. The specific ways in which this can be done vary from situation to situation. If you want to go back and listen to the sermon this morning on evangelism, that's a way you can specifically display the glory of the Lord. Various other ways. But for this sermon, specifically the principle, I mean the principle is just a general principle. Our interactions in daily life as ministers of the new covenant is to display the glory of the Lord. So when we have been anointed with oil that makes our face shine, like it says in Psalm 104, the oil makes your face shine like Moses' face. And the anointing of the oil in the Old Testament points to the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So in other words, when we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, our faces shine. This results in us being ministers of the everlasting, unbreakable New Covenant, and we are to display the radiance of the glory of God in an unfading way. So, we've got it better than Moses. I end with this. Go. Go forth, saints. Go forth having your faces shining with the radiance of the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we come before you now, having heard that we are to be ministers of the new covenant, excited, not puffed up with pride, but looking to Jesus, Lord. We are excited that he has accomplished things for us. We are excited to be ministers of the new covenant. We are excited to display the radiance of your glory like you have commanded us to do. Lord, I pray that we see, we see this and that we go out from this place energized, that we go out from this place seeing that we have it even better than your servant Moses. Because of the love that you have for Jesus and because you both have sent your spirit into our lives to anoint us with oil to make our faces shine. And that our faces shine when we leave here, when we interact with our coworkers and our family members or our children or people that we see in the grocery store or people that we're talking with online. Anywhere where we interact, Lord, I pray that our faces, that the faces of these people are displaying the radiance of your glory. Help us do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.